showing you how to reignite the embers of a distant and lonely relationship into a blazing, emotionally intimate connection. I'm your host, Amber Dawson. I'm a psychologist, author, and speaker. A few of my favorite things are my husband, Grapes, and my adorable little dog, Riggs. Now let's learn how to create a soul crush in love that lasts. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so that simply by listening, you can rekindle your relationship by pouring a little gas on your relationship ember. This podcast is for informational purposes and should not be misconstrued for specific relationship advice. For advice for your specific relationship, seek a local couples therapist for relationship counseling for couples therapy. Welcome back to the podcast. I have someone I am very excited to chat with today, Isabella Gondick. She's a registered registered psychotherapist, level three Gottman trained. She just got into her PhD program. So let's give her a round of applause, which she can't hear because this is an audio recording, but nonetheless, we are stoked for her. And she works at Stradwick Psychology Neurofeedback in Ottawa, and she works in couples. And so we're super, and many other things as well, but also works with couples. So we are talking to her today about relationships. Welcome to the podcast, Isabella. Hi, Amber. I'm so excited to be here. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. Oh, you're welcome. So fill us in. Relationships can be a very challenging field to work in sometimes, but also can be really lovely and rewarding. What made you decide you wanted to work with couples? Well, that's the piece there is the fact that they are it's that work is so rewarding. It started off um, during my practicum. Uh, I was working with uh, refugees and I was getting a lot of uh, variety with regards to who I was providing help for. So there's individuals, there's families, there's couples. Um, And although I didn't have all the training with regards to couples and family work, that's where I felt most comfortable with. And that's what I felt was most rewarding. And that's kind of how I decided to pursue couples work. Interesting, right? You start working and you get pulled in some direction. You're like, this is what my, my heart wants to do for some reason. And it was such, and it, it was, and that's exactly it. It was such a pull. It was that, that feeling of, you know, and almost some, almost in some forms validation as a practicum student too, you could see the work that's happening in front of you, as opposed to with individual work, it's a little bit different, right? There's that mystery there with couples. You kind of see what's happening in front of you. You do. You do see what's happening in front of you. It is a little bit different that way. So in this episode, we are going to be talking about common dysfunctions or where, where couples get into trouble, why their relationship starts to stray sideways. And we're going to just be covering some of these, these common factors that happen that you might not be aware of things that I certainly didn't know in in my earlier life before I got some training. And so some of you, I think are probably more well-educated than I was earlier without being in this field, but certainly I think a lot of you are going to get so much of what Isabella is going to share with us today about common problems that happens in relationships. So what do you think are some of the most common problems that happen in relationships? What do you see most in your practice that starts to happen when couples are coming in to see you? So there's when in prepping for this and always kind of thinking back on what are the most common 
dysfunctions that come up in couples therapy and not maybe something that the couples necessarily come into therapy um, and indicate their problem is, but definitely some the things that come up and that are kind of underlying the, the problems the couple comes in with. Right. So, um, I've got six here, so I've got more negativity than positivity, um, in the relationship. Uh, do you want me to just name them off? Yeah. Name them off. Let's go through all six and then we can break them down. Down. It's a great idea. Okay. Um, two escalating of negative affect. Um, and that's kind of where the four horsemen of the apocalypse come in, um, emotional disengagement and withdrawal. Number four, failure of repair attempts. Number five, negative sentiment override versus positive sentiment override and six failure to attempt uh, accept influence. Okay. Well, we've got these six points now let's dive into them. So let's start with the first one. What on earth does more negative than positive mean? Okay. Um, so for example, during a conflict discussion, that is, so you're during an argument, during something you disagree on, you're having a discussion, um, what we would preferably like to see, so more positivity would be a ratio of about five to one. So five positive things to one negative thing. Um, based on a lot of the Gottman research, what we typically see in um, couples that are having troubles, um, is that there's almost nearly like a one-to-one ratio of negative to positive. Um, so something, a negative comment you say to your partner, and then one positive comment you say to your partner, we'd like to see kind of five positive actions to one negative comment or action, even facial expression. Yeah, the facial expression matters. Sometimes people think they're saying nothing, but they're like looking sideways or slumping down or looking like their jaw is clenched mm-hmm. and their partner is like, do you see what they're doing with their eyes? And they can, those, those, those kind of non-verbals can be an action as well that takes away. Good point. And part of that, even, even the facial expression kind of plays into one of the later points is the withdrawal. You can see when the partner, when one of the partners or when your partner withdraws, you can kind of see that, that emptiness in the eyes that they're, they're either spaced out, they're over it. And that also plays into the four horsemen and just the stonewalling piece there. Mm-hmm. So people often uh, find this like hard to do. Have you ever had that challenge where they're like, be more positive in a conflict with my partner? Have you ever encountered any challenges or uh, resistance to that notion? Oh, 100%. It's like, um, how do you expect me to be positive to them when they're being like this to me? Or how do you expect me to say something positive when all they're doing is complaining about me? Mm -hmm. And that comes up a lot of the time. And one thing to recognize is that negativity isn't necessarily a bad thing in, in the relationship, right? We're not only looking for positivity, that kind of like fake sense of positivity. That's not what we're looking to, to, to work out. We can accept some negativity. The point here is that we have that ratio of more positivity to negativity. So sometimes when a couple comes in with, with something like that, like, how do you expect to be positive? Sometimes I'll go first, I'll go, okay, well, maybe not positive. Let's try neutral, right? We, we don't have to go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum if you're not ready for it yet. Right. But, but let's try not to push back with the negativity. Yeah, good point. Like sometimes neutral is way better. 
it night and day. And even like some of the feedback I get is like, oh, it's not genuine to be positive. Okay, okay, fine. Like it doesn't have to be the most genuine, but is there a way that we could make it less worse? And people sometimes get over involved with like what positive thinking or positive acting might be. And we don't have to be like fake, just a little more neutral. Right. What do, what do you do when, when couples, when couples come in with that, like the, well, how do you expect me to be, um, you know, fake positive? I just talk, I give like the relationship, your relationship is like a bank account. You guys have a, uh, you guys are in debt, you're in overdraft. Mm-hmm. And because you're in overdraft and you keep going back to have this conversation, um, you just keep put, getting in more debt. And we have a choice to make. You're either going to keep getting in debt or we're going to start adding some money in, whether you're adding in a quarter at a time or a hundred bucks at a time, you know, whatever it is. But if we want to get out of debt, we have to put money in. And then I just kind of give them a metaphor and tell them the choice is theirs. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> it, it depends. It depends on, it depends on the resistance they've given me, but often <laughs> I will try to give them a metaphor or analogy and, and leave it up to them. Dep- depends on what they're depends on what they're telling me. I don't know. I might try to, I might go a different way, but often I give them something like that. Right. And, and the thing is every couple is there to make it work. So as much as they they push back, yeah. if you allow a little bit, a little bit of an opening or then the, even the analogy piece there, right. If you let them see it in a little bit of a different um, light, always so much more open to it. Right. What is that number two? Can you help us understand that escalating negative affect? Yeah. Okay. So that kind of, um, that kind of refers to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And that is the gold standard of, I would say, Gottman therapy, right? Would you, would you agree with me there? That's what everybody knows about for sure. Yeah. I think if we do nothing else in couples therapy, it's avoiding helping couples avoid those four horsemen. Yeah. yeah. And it always, and it always comes up and it's when uh, couples come in, it was like, well, what we do know of Gottman is uh, the four horsemen. So that's criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. Um, and so escalating of negative affect is having those four horsemen come up in the relationship and how much they come up in the relationship. Um, and the interesting thing about these four horsemen is that a lot of the time, they go unnoticed because it is the way the couples have learned to communicate. It is their natural way of communicating. Um, criticism and defensiveness, they play into one another. Contempt, stonewalling. If all three are, if all criticism, defensiveness, and contempt are present, stonewalling is most likely going to be there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they're so easy to play into like the natural reaction to that criticism is to defend. Yeah. And so, so often we get stuck in that, that cycle and we can be so frustrated. Like there, they are defending again, if I'm the criticizer and then that the defender is like, there, they are criticizing again. And it's so easy to get stuck. Like if they just changed and it's, it's helpful. Like if they change, that is good. And we all seem to look at like, and what is our role? And it can be so hard to do when your partner is doing one of those four horsemen to stop your own four horsemen, but they can be so pervasive. And the more they happen, the more we get used to it, the more they happen, the more we're used to it. It's so hard to get out of that cycle. And a lot of the time it's one of the questions I get most often is like, well, how do we point it out then without 
without criticizing? How do I point, point out that you're criticizing without criticizing you or that you're being defensive, defensive without criticizing you? Um, so what I typically say, well, first print out the, the four horsemen and just stick it on somewhere where you see on a fridge, on a countertop. I don't care. Have it with you, put it in your purse. I don't know, have it with you everywhere you go so that it's something that if anything, just point to it, right. Or have a safe word. Sometimes I don't know, pineapple, when you recognize that criticism or defensiveness or contempt or stonewalling are going on, that's stonewalling is a little bit harder to, um, to point out, but definitely the criticism, the defensiveness and the contempt and agree with your partner that that is something that you guys are both going to recognize if a safe word is used, or if you point the four heart, the paper, the piece of paper with the four horsemen on it, that you take a, take a step back and reflect on what just been said or where the conversation is going. Mm-hmm. But That's both, a great tip. Both partners need to take accept that influence so to speak that the other partner is recognizing in them right i've had a lot of people actually tell me without me suggesting it to them that they print out the four horsemen after we've gone gone over them like put them on their fridge or put them in the cupboard Mm -hmm. and they're like okay these are what these are this is what we're trying to stay away from it can be very uh hard to do especially at, at first um but that's it yeah have that have that somewhere be aware of it and just so important to be able to refer back to and catch when it's going on. I often say that um, I'm actually going to be rude in our sessions. I like I, I uh, preface our sessions and I say, "Well, you're you you might find me rude uh, going into the first few sessions because I will be cutting you off when criticism or defensiveness happens, so that you get it, you get to that point when you're at a session and say, "Oh, yeah, that's probably would have been cut off there, yeah. right? That's." where that's the ultimate goal is to recognize it in yourself when when you are heated when you are in kind of I I still do it I still do it my partner and I know about this I I I I work with couples on this and I find myself criticizing and I say oh yep I definitely was defensive there definitely criticized there and it's about kind of stepping back and acknowledging it and and owning it yeah I appreciate that you said that like you can do it too. And so can I, and often the way that I, I can tell if I have been critical, I tend to, if I'm going to do one, that's usually critical. And usually the way I can tell I've been critical is I'm noticing my partner's being defensive and I'll look at him and I'm like super irritated that he's being defensive. And then I, it's like, I do an outer body experience. I float out of myself and I look back down on us as a couple and I'm like, what is happening here? And then I'm able to rewind that, that experience to how it started. And often, not always, not always, but often if he's being defensive, it has started with me coming in with the criticism. And then I have a choice to make. Do I point out in that moment that he's being defensive? Probably, and if I'm getting in that moment, I'm probably coming at it in a critical way, to be honest. Um, or do I kind of rewind and we're gonna talk about repairs a little bit, or do I make a repair for how I started that interaction? And so if I have the wherewithal, the best version, the highest version of myself would make a repair for how I started that interaction. But we're not always our, our best versions of self. And that takes a lot that takes, cause that does take, that takes the outer body experience, the acknowledgement, recognition, acknowledgement, and then also the owning part. And it's really hard to own it when you feel like you got a good point and you're not going to be able to kind of hit in the park. It's going to just kind of going to go unnoticed if you own this uh, criticism. 
Yeah, that's that's a hard one. Well, that's, it, that's actually the best part of not being critical anymore or like limiting it is when you have a point and it's good. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, and if you can stay away from the four horsemen, you keep your side of the street clean and you express your point in such a way that your partner can't say anything about how you expressed it. You just expressed your point in a way there is a satisfaction in that because you're like, hmm point got across and we can't talk about how I talked about it. We just can talk about the issue. <laughs> the, 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 the ultimate gentle startup, the I need, I feel kind of gently phasing into it. And then it's kind of like the other partner's just like, what just happened? This is strange. Yeah. I don't really know how to react here. Yeah, totally. Okay. So we've talked about two. The third one is emotional disengagement withdrawal. What does that mean? Okay, so that one is emotional disengagement. And that, that's a tough one because that one comes sometimes isn't recognized. So I've had I've had couples that come in because seemingly there's an issue. Okay. They know that there's an issue, but when we work through the intake, we work through um, we work through our first few sessions they push back a lot with, no, we're happy. N no, we don't really have arguments. No, we're, um, we, we don't really experience the four horsemen. Everything's good. If that were true, then you guys wouldn't be in, in couples therapy. You wouldn't have intuitively known that you had to be here, that there was something going on. And that's when you know, and it's easy as the therapist, it's easy to kind of follow their lead and say, okay, well, if nothing's, nothing's wrong, then, then, then we're good. Right. Are, are we just going to kind of maintain, like do maintenance of the, the relationship? It's easy to go there, but you really, as a therapist want to stay away from that and really kind of dive into that's where the emotional disengagement is. That's where everything's kind of surface level. We, we know each other. We know your favorite type of ice cream. I know where you like to go to dinner. I know who your best friend is. And, and that's usually what couples come in with. They're like, well, I know everything about my partner. Okay. But do you know the deeper stuff? Do you really truly know why that comment comment hurt them? Like really, really deeply know what that would hurt them. Well, yeah, because, um, uh, I don't know. Uh, she doesn't like being, she doesn't like me using that word. Okay. But why doesn't she like you using that word? Right. Challenging, further challenging. Right? Sounds pretty hurtful. It sounds like a hurtful word. Okay. Why don't you ask her? And then that comes stuff comes, maybe a trauma comes up from the past, something deeper. Right. And when you open those floodgates, that's when you get the deeper connection. And that's what you're looking for, right? Being withdrawn doesn't necessarily mean that there's evident problems going on in the relationship, but there is something that's that deeper connection isn't there. And that is a really hard nut to crack. Yeah. Especially when it's not like an overt, like this is our problem. It's just the lack of depth and knowing how to go deeper, knowing how to ask the next question. Mm -hmm. um, and, and not assuming, and a lot of people struggle with that with like, okay, ask them an open-ended question for the purposes of just understanding them better, allowing your partner to explore their meanings, their beliefs, their dreams. And I mean, I don't blame anyone. I was never taught how to do that. I didn't mm -hmm. learn. I learned about an open-ended question until I was in my fourth year of undergrad where 
people listen to the podcast probably heard me talk about this before, but I was in a class where we had to record ourselves on like VHS monitors. It was like mm-hmm. a communication skills class or something like that. And um, I remember like we're doing open-ended questions and really focusing on that and recording ourselves on these VHSs. And that was the first time I began to learn about the power of asking better questions, asking deeper questions. Mm-hmm. And that was a life-changing class for me because I learned how to really deeply get to know someone and connect with them. But I didn't, like, I was in my fourth year of university by then. And, and even then, it didn't connect that the things I learned in that class was things that would be helpful in a relationship. Right. So, yeah. A big part, and I like how you said, so there's two things that I really like you said there. The assumption piece, I always say that assumptions are toxic because we work off of assumptions. And this kind of plays into the negative sentiment override piece too. We work off of assumptions. And if, if we are experiencing that negative sentiment override, a lot of the time, what we assume of our partner is in a negative light, right? Or what we, we, we just assume, we assume we know then another thing is not, if it's not in a negative light, we don't have to ask a question, right? We don't have to, we don't have to find out. Right. And oh, that automatically awesome. is a wall. It is. It's a, it starts in like, sometimes it's a small wall and sometimes it's like this brick wall and sometimes it's built brick by brick by brick, layer by layer by layer. So it doesn't happen all at one time. It happens like slowly, gradually over time. Mm-hmm. And that's where that emotional disengagement and that withdrawal, right? It's that brick by brick by brick that creating, building those walls up. And then the, the two, the, the, the couple or the, the two partners don't even know, don't even know that those walls are up. So where do we, where do we really start? How do we start taking down those bricks? And for the purpose of the open-ended questions, a great, um, for, for, for kind of starters with regards to open-ended questions, look for a question that doesn't, it can't be responded in a yes or no answer is kind of what I usually say is when, when it's like, how do I ask an open-ended question? If it can be responded in yes or no, it's not open-ended. Right. Yeah. Actually listeners, if you want some help with this, I have a guide called the emotional intimacy cheat sheet. It's a question, there's, there's an exercise, but you don't even have to do the exercise, but there's a list of 36 open-ended questions that you can get. So I'll attach the link to the guide here in the show notes listeners. And then that way you can have some extra questions, but we just talked about negative sentiment override. I know the fourth thing we haven't talked about, but you talked about negative sentiment override. So if we could jump to that one, could you explain what negative sentiment override is? Okay. So the best, so it's typically how we, how I explain this to couples is negative versus positive sentiment override. Negative sentiment override is seeing the good as neutral, the neutral as bad, and the bad as catastrophic. Everything is shifted towards kind of the negative side of the spectrum, right? Your partner does something good, it goes unnoticed, okay? For example, your partner, I don't know, takes out the garbage. It goes unnoticed. No appreciation comes to that, right? It's expected. Um, the partner forgets to take out the garbage, right? Why didn't you take out the garbage? That's bad, right? You, you failed again. You failed me again. You didn't take out the garbage, okay? Bad. Partner refuses to, get, to take out the garbage, and that becomes catastrophic. Right. 
And that's how, that's how I kind of try to explain negative sentiment override. Um, there's also a, a different way of seeing negative versus positive sentiment override. Um, I usually kind of give two sides of the same story. Um, so let's say, um, two girlfriends haven't seen each other for a really, for, for some time, they missed each other's birthday. And one of the girls is like, Oh, how was your birthday? Um, and she's like, Oh, the, the girl in positive sentiment overrides says something along the line of, Oh, you wouldn't believe it. My partner took me, um, surprise trip to go skiing. Um, there was a little bit of a, a little bit of a mess up in, with regards to reservations, um, to the hotel, but we got everything figured out. Um, we got, we got to, we got to the, um, we got to the restaurant, uh, we got, uh, sat at the bar for a little bit and had drinks, everything kind of worked out the next day. And um, there was another little mix up with ski passes, ended up going snowshoeing instead. Um, and overall we made the whole weekend work. It was fantastic. Okay. That's positive sentiment override. Same conversation, but the girlfriend asked a girl that's in negative sentiment override. Um, so how, how was your birthday? Uh, well, you know, um, my partner planned this, uh, surprise getaway and, uh, it was, there was an absolute snowstorm on the way up. We got there. Uh, he obviously didn't uh, get the right reservations. Um, what's new. Uh, he went, went ahead and booked, uh, booked the wrong restaurant. He knows which restaurant I like there, but I don't know why booked the wrong one. Obviously next day, more issues with ski passes had to end up going snowshoeing. It was just a disaster the whole weekend. And those are kind of two perspectives, right? Same, same things happened. Same line of events. One individual is in positive sentiment override. The one, the other is in negative sentiment override. So when couples are struggling, then they're, they're more likely to see it the second way that everything was kind of wrong. It was a disaster. It like, right. that's just the way that's their perspective. That's the way they're viewing the world. Whereas when couples are doing good, they're more likely to see it like first girlfriend you mentioned like and then it was still fine we ended up going snowshoeing they, they tried they put effort in like they see the the glass half full yep part of the story yep. and what's what's really crazy about the negative sentiment override and this is how i say it precipitates into every aspect of the relationship even your past is that based on um some of the gottman research negative sentiment override has the ability to morph your past, uh, your past, um, sorry, I'm missing the word right now, but like your history of your relationship, which your memories in the relationship, it has the ability to precipitate that deeply into your relationship that you will remember different events in your, in the history of your relationship based on the negativity that you're feeling in the relationship right now. So, um, for example, you have one bad birthday, just going back to the birthday thing, all of my past birthdays, he's always screwed up my birthdays, right? Where that might not actually be the reality, but your, your perspective has been shifted so much the couple's perspective, the, the, the partner's perspective has been shifted so much um, based on this negative sentiment override that they recall different aspects of their relationship in that negative light. Yeah. And then it's kind of like, well, what do I hold on to? What do I play off of? Yeah. It makes it really hard and confusing when 
Cool. Yeah. And when you get that negative sentiment override, it's, it's a hard spot to be in. It makes it so, so difficult for, for the couple, but just, just bringing the negative sentiment override to the surface and just helping couples recognize it takes you a pretty big step forward. Cause usually when you bring this up in, in, in therapy, it's like a light bulb went off. Yeah. Right. Just try, don't, don't point it out in your partner. Just, just try to recognize it in yourself. The next time, next time you're, you know, doing regular things around the house with your partner and, and they do something, are you complaining about it in your head? Is your internal dialogue negative about them? Or is it appreciative? Is it positive? Ooh, that's an interesting thing to pay attention to. Yeah. If it's negative, if they're doing, if they're doing something like cleaning, I don't know, cleaning the counter, but they use the wrong, wrong. They didn't use the granite countertop cleaner. They, they used the all purpose, right? Are you complaining about that? Are you, are you upset about that? Is that a really big deal to you? Or are you kind of just neutral about it? You fine. Yeah. Right. Or, or are you happy? Yes. They're doing the counter. I don't have to do it. Right. Who cares? The cleaner, just do anything. Put any cleaner on it. Amazing. Thank you. Right. That would positive sentiment override. Right. If you're, if you're upset about the type of cleaner they used. Yeah. Okay. Good points. So many good points here. Okay. So challenge to everybody. Notice when your partner does something, what is going through your head? Are you looking at this through rose colored glasses or doom and gloom, gloom colored glasses? take a internal moment and just check. Okay. So we skipped, that was the fifth of the six that you talked about. And for the sake of time, I want to make sure moving along, getting through all six. Uh, the fourth one then was failure to accept influence. Mm-hmm. All right. So that one, um, a lot of times when, so this is kind of a lot of, so work starts getting going in couples therapy, for example, right? Things are happening. There's a shift going on. And um, wait, so we're doing failure to repair attempts right now. Yes. Are we doing the last one? Failure to accept influence. Maybe I wrote them in the wrong order. You can do them whatever order you want. Okay. Let's do failure to repair attempts then. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, So you are failing to respond to one another's needs for emotional connection, essentially, um, when you're failing to repair it, the repair attempts, right? Um, one, one partner may be, um, may be trying to work towards, um, work towards something that we had, we had brought up in therapy and they're really, for example, bids for connection. Okay. Um, they're really working on bids for connection and the other part, the partner's not just not meeting them in the same place, whether they're not ready to be there yet, whether there's stuff that hasn't been worked through and, um, they don't feel like it's fair. Um, a lot of, a lot of, um, stuff comes up with regards to, uh, the willingness to kind of meet your partner in this, in, in that place, in the place to, to work through those repair attempts. Um, that's kind of where, where that dysfunction comes in is that not being in the same place. Okay. So what are small things people could do if they notice they're struggling here? Um, so this is kind of where the, the antidotes come in, right. To the, to the four horsemen we were talking about, um, getting into those. So, um, with regards to, uh, criticism, Okay. Um, instead of criticizing your partner using gentle startup, 
Um, so something along the lines of, I feel like I'm not being heard right now. I need you to take a minute to listen to me. Which is so different than you're not listening to me. Pay attention right now. Exactly. Here we go again. You're once again, you're not listening to me. You never hear me. I'm so annoyed of you never here. See, they, 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 they expressed a feeling there. I'm so annoyed, but it's followed up by focusing on the other partner's inability to do something or, or Some of us were pretty Tony too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tone matters. <laughs> well, but that's, that's how, that's a lot of the time how it comes up, right? You're yes. not, you're not going to say it and you're not going to say it in a nice uh, soothing tone when you're criticizing somebody, but when you're trying to use gentle startup, right? Yes. You do change your tone and based on what you're saying, right? It's almost, you're almost innately doing it. Yeah. Totally. When I'm saying something I need, I feel I like yeah, yeah. my tone definitely changes as opposed to you suck. Yeah. Right. Like, I feel hurt that you didn't put the ketchup away. Can you, can you, can you do that now? Yeah. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> Clearly I'm a negative sentiment override if I'm mad about that ketchup, you know? <laughs> so. Um, and then you've got defensiveness. Um, so the, the antidote to defensiveness, um, is taking responsibility. So um, say your partner does criticize you didn't take the garbage out. Okay. Defensiveness would be, well, I did 10 other things. You, you, you're never doing anything, right? I always have to take out the garbage. Taking responsibility would sound something along the line. Obviously the garbage thing is really important to me, but, um, taking responsibility would be something along the lines of, you know what? You're right. I didn't have a lot of time this morning. I was running late. I'm going to look out for that next week. Yeah. Right. That's, that's like the, the best way of taking responsibility doesn't taking responsibility doesn't mean you have to accept the blame, right? You can say something along the lines of you're right. I was super overwhelmed. Can we figure out our mornings a little bit differently? Cause this is obviously not working for me. It's not working for us right? That's introducing a little bit of, a, a little bit of collaboration there. It doesn't necessarily just mean you're going to go along with everything your partner says, but you're opening a door to further conversation there. Yeah. Um, contempt, uh, describing, describing your feelings as opposed to describing your partner right? Describing your partner in a mean way, shaming them. Um, this is where, this is where also the facial expressions come in. Eye rolling, um, kind of like teenager behavior, right? Kind of like that kind of contemptuous behavior. Um, so in, in when, when contempt comes up instead, just say what's on your mind in a gentle way, right? Like, you're frustrating me right now is better than an eye roll is better than mocking them. Yeah. Right. Is better than making fun of your partner. Um, what you said really bothered me there. That's better than again, mocking them or, or, or doing something contemptuous. Yeah. And then the last one is stonewalling. And that's when you want to physiologically soothe as opposed to, um, 
kind of not letting your partner know that you can't take you're you're just so heightened you're in a state where you can't accept anything that's that's coming from them anymore you're so heightened it's going to go nowhere and this is a lot of the time where the the couple also has to have a discussion before um doing the physiological self-soothing because a lot of that time a lot of the times it goes into well why do we have to end the conversation based on when you want to end the conversation Right. Do you ever get that when the couple's kind of like, how are we going to avoid stonewalling? Well, you're going to walk away for 30 minutes and then come back to the conversation when you're ready. And then a lot of the couples, a lot of couples come back on and say, well, why do we have to go like leave the conversation on their terms, on my partner's terms? Yes. Yeah, so when people talk about that, that's a, that's when we got to work through often. Yeah. So what often. do you do with your couples when that happens? Well, usually we've also talked about heart rate. And um, so when we're, when, we're, when we're stonewalling, a lot of the time, not all the time, we're in a state of diffuse physiological arousal. So our heart rate has elevated to over 100 beats per minute. We've usually already gone over that. And so we've talked about like sometimes, not always, but often, that stonewalling is in response to our nervous system escalation. And you can't outthink in your brain your nervous system response. So you've got cortisol going through your bloodstream, your heart rate is escalated. So your nervous system response is high. So I usually provide them some education about a higher uh, nervous system response. And then we'll talk about the reason here is to let your nervous systems calm down. Because if you keep trying to go and your nervous systems are escalated, that's when you're going to say probably more hurtful things you don't mean, or if the other person's going to stonewall more, you're going to feel more disconnected. So the goal of taking a break isn't taking a break. I know it seems unfair to take a break when your partner needs it, but the goal is actually to help your partner stay engaged. And if I can help your partner stay engaged, you're actually going to get more from them emotionally and for your relationship if you can take that break. So then we often talk about agreements, like if they get the break, then how do we get the engagement as well? But often, not always, often if I can set up why we do it first, and then we get there, it's easier, but usually there's some details that we have to work out and compromise on to figure out how does this unique couple do breaks the way that feels fair-ish. Mm-hmm. So it's a hard one. Just want to check for time. Are you okay if we keep going a little bit or do you have to go? Yep, I'm good. I, I took a break after this, so we're good. Okay. So I think we have, uh, we've gotten through the four horsemen. So then do we have accepting influence left? Yeah. So failure to accept influence. Um, and that one kind of kind of plays into what we were talking about a little bit earlier with regards to um, a lot of the time not having such an what we what we talked about with regards to assuming for your partner the negative sentiment override and the accepting your partner's influence is not assuming that they're out to get you right? That they're out to get the relationship. Accepting your partner's influence is being open to your partner's um, efforts, being open to um, the idea that your partner might be trying to do something for the relationship, not selfishly, right? Um, If they are trying to... um, So failing to accept their influence is shutting them down, shutting them out, right? Um, Stonewalling them, that's failing to accept their influence. And that really impedes the progress of 
of, of the couple's work, right? When they're not able to accept one another's influence, when they're not able to accept each other. Some, a lot of the time, you're, a lot of the time you're, you're so deep into the negative sentiment override that accepting your partner seems unfathomable because you're expecting the worst from them. And then it's that expectation and the assumption, and that's where it becomes toxic. So if we come back to that garbage example with my partner, if I'm in, if I'm in negative sentiment override and I don't accept the influence, so they're like, you didn't take out the garbage before you went to work today. I'm like, there you go again, always pointing out everything I'm doing wrong instead yeah. of saying something which would be like, oh gosh, you're right. I didn't take out the garbage. Can we sit down and have a chat about that one? I'm just, I just keep missing it. Right. And that's a perfect example. You were, you were open to what your partner was saying in that expect the expectation that what your partner is pointing out isn't an attack at you. It's how to improve the relationship. It's not about, it's not about again, negativity towards you, but if you're not a negative sentiment override, you're going off of the assumption that the partner is attacking you. Even if, even if at that point they weren't criticizing you, even if they said it just like you did yourself right there, there wasn't, even if they didn't criticize you, if you're in that negative space, you're going to not be willing or able to accept their influence because you're going to have negative assumptions. Okay. So we've gone through six dysfunctions in relationships, things that are going wrong when, when mm-hmm. couples are in trouble um, of everything we've talked about today, if couples remember, or people remember like one point that we've discussed, what do you hope people hang on to? Hands down the negative sentiment override, because that is work that you can do after having listened to this, this podcast today, you can literally go see your partner, go, go on with your day and recognize if you are picking out what they're doing and how your internal, what your internal dialogue is about them. And it's something you, without any therapy, without any, any work, without anything, because it's something you do with yourself. Right. And it's so quick. And I guarantee you, you will go home today, or you'll be at home, you'll be noticing what your partner's doing. It's whether it's cleaning countertops or anything else, right? And what is it, what's going on? What's going on in your head? Are you seeing them in a negative light? Or are you seeing what they do in a positive light or neutral? Yeah. If it's, if it's not positive, if you're not like super happy with them, that's okay too. But as long as it's, it's on more of the like neutral positive side, as opposed to the neutral negative, negative side, like going down to complaining about them or, oh, like that, a lot of the times, like, oh, the annoyance. Oh, they're doing that again. Oh, they're breathing. Yeah, when, it's, when it gets to breathing. It's really, that's real big problem. Oh, yeah. You can't <laughs> stop breathing if you want to be alive. <laughs> but a lot of that time, if, when you do, you do start feeling so annoyed with your partner, that's when you know that you're in that negative sentiment, sentiment override space. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So she's given the one thing, pay attention to go home, just start noticing. Yeah. What are you thinking in your head? What's your mental chatter when your partner is doing something? Okay. Isabella, this was incredibly helpful to go through these six points to see the dysfunctions. Um, If people, I'm assuming you work with people in Ontario. So if they're here and they want to, they're like, wow, we love this. We want to learn more from you. Where can they find you or how could they work with you? 
they can go through, um, they can contact Stradwick uh, Psychology and Neurofeedback um, either by on the website, email, phone number, or they can go to the Gottman Referral Network and, um, and find me through there and contact me through there. We'll give the link for that in the show notes. Isabella, any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with today? Um, well, don't be scared to do the work. Don't be scared yeah. to do the couples work. Like it isn't that I know it may seem scary, but getting into it, starting that journey with your partner is well worth it. Yes. And don't wait too long. It's so much easier yeah. to fix if you start it catching is. sooner than later. This is coming from two therapists. Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.